0: in this hour robert Mac mccormick loved the blues he spent his entire life collecting tapes vinyl and writings of the genre many of the items in his rare collection have never before been seen or heard mccormick's family has now donated his entire collection to the smithsonian's national museum of american history jeff edgers is a washington post reporter who's covered this amazing story about mccormick's passion and joins us now to talk about this extensive collection now in the hands of the smithsonian specifically the national museum of american history and i am pleased to welcome jeff edgers to this program jeff how are you today sir I'm good. How you doing, Tavis? Man, if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. It must be a Washington Post day. I had a, a guest on in the first hour uh, connected to the Post, and here you come now to, uh, connected to the Post. So i ain't mad at the Washington Post and uh, all the shout-outs they're getting on the program today. But let me let me jump right in. Before I get to the collection, which is fascinating, let me just start by uh, giving you an opportunity to tell the audience about Robert Mac McCormick. Tell me about the man, then we'll get to uh, his collection.
1: Well, Mac McCormick was, uh, I mean, people use the word complicated a lot, but it's its a pretty good word, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was a guy who uh, was fascinated by music, fascinated by the, uh, the kind of music you didn't hear always on the radio. This, he wasn't looking for, you know, stuff in the 50s like, how much is that doggy in the window? Mm-hmm. He was fascinated by blues music, country music, rural music that he heard. Uh, in in different spa- places, mainly in Texas and the South, and he was like uh, he was also very fascinated by Robert Johnson, mm. who you know we know in the modern world as you know the guy who wrote Crossroads and there's this, you know, really phony legend that he sold his soul to the <laughs> devil to become a great, great player. He yeah. probably just practiced a lot and yeah. really was talented. But, um, you know, they don't say that about Eric Clapton, right? Exactly, uh,
0: exactly.
1: But, but, so Mac McCormick, he had a really, uh, he, he moved around a lot as a kid, like 20 times by the time he was 17. And he just started bringing these recording machines around in the 60s and, and, and the 50s and capturing these these performers who were playing at juke joints and in their living rooms. Um, and he collected all this stuff, and he, at the same time, spent a lot of time researching Robert Johnson with the idea that he was going to write the definitive history of Robert Johnson. Um, and then what happened, basically, is he was held back by a lot of his own psychological issues, it sounds like. I spoke with his daughter, and he ultimately didn't publish... Any of his Robert Johnson material wrote several versions of this book, and most of his archive, all of his archive really remained in this house in Texas on reel-to-reel tapes, uh, you know, not really listened to and certainly not available to the public uh, until now.
0: Wow, so I, I'm fascinated by this guy because who goes around? I mean, I, we we all love the blues and we love jazz, we love R and B and pop and rock and etc. Hip hop, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, gospel, but I can't imagine somebody loving it so much they run around recording it themselves, Jeff.
1: Well, there was a belief at a certain point in American history, and you know, definitely in the 20th century. First of all, recording was suddenly mobile you could actually carry around a thing and capture things in the moment. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, you know, we didn't have, it, you know, when Louis Armstrong was recording records in the in the 20s, he was huddled around a horn with his, his band trying to capture it through that thing. You know, suddenly in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, we had these tape machines. You could throw them in your trunk and drive around, so... Mac McCormick wasn't the only one. I mean, the most famous person probably is Alan Lomax, mm-hmm. who went all throughout the country. Also, you know, went to prisons, went to work sites, uh, just trying to ke- went all around the world. I was listening just because of this story. I got kind of interested in it. I found a a, a record from uh, uh, it's the Songs of Italy, and Alan Lomax went to Italy in like the fifties, and the second song was like. A sea chant sung by a group of half naked fishermen as they lifted a fishing net. So (laughs) there was this idea that we were like, there was sound everywhere and we're going to lose it if we didn't capture it. So Mac was part of that group of people. I mean, there was a name that these people had for, gave themselves or gave to others, which was the Blues Mafia. Mm. And the idea was these were generally white people with recording equipment going around and capturing black music throughout the South.
0: We're going to play just a few bits of uh, four or five tracks, maybe five or six tracks we'll play, uh, uh, as many as we can at least, in the in the half hour that I have with you here. Um, but I, I listened to a lot of it last night, the stuff that was sent to us for this conversation. And the quality isn't necessarily you know it ain't studio quality but it's not it's, it's not that bad either um so when these folks are traveling around recording people uh on the spot in parts unknown um what about the quality of this stuff he's now turned over his family's not turned over to the smithsonian
1: it's pretty good i think i mean you know i, I had a conversation with quest love when his amazing documentary summer soul came out sure. and what struck me i'm a, a little bit of an audio geek and I see these recording situations nowadays where there are 500 microphones in a room, the drums have seven micro. and I watched that Summer of Soul, and I watched some of the performances, like the Staple Singers, mm-hmm. and I was like, how are they getting it to sound so good? And he said, you know what? We try so hard in the modern era to capture the energy and the sound that they get with five microphones on a stage in open <laughs> air. And- and- you know what i mean yeah. so <laughs> if if you're lightning hopkins i'm sorry like you have a microphone in front of him he's playing his guitar you know, that's going to sound pretty good. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that might have great equipment but aren't Lightning Hopkins, and they're not going to be able to no. d- deliver that. So, no, I, so that's what I'd say.
0: No, and I, I'd only add to that list. It's not just the instruments. I mean, they didn't have any auto-tune back in the day, uh, and they still sound good uh, without it. Uh, I digress on that point. When we come forward with our guest, Jeff Edgers of The Washington Post, we'll talk more about Robert Mac McCormick and specifically get into some of the pieces uh, that are a part of his collection. I'm really fascinated also to ask Jeff – what he knows about why Mac was so fascinated by Robert Johnson. Great artist, no doubt about it. what was the fascination with Robert Johnson? Uh, you're listening to Tavis Smiley. Something. Made fresh daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. That's in the same tune, you see? Tavis Smiley and uh, Jeff Edges of the Washington Post talking about this uh, uh, this Robert Mac McCormick, who loved the blues so much, he spent his entire life collecting tapes and vinyl and writings. A lot of stuff in his rare collection never before seen or heard until now. Uh, his family has donated his entire collection to the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History, uh, and um, a lot of us will get a chance to uh, in the years to come. Uh, delve into um, all that was uh, that is, in fact, in his collection. Um, Jeff wrote a pretty uh, in-depth story about this, and I wanted to just kind of probe him uh, more about uh, about the collection. Uh, let me start with this, um, Jeff. Why? Um, or what do you know about his fascination with Robert Johnson?
1: Well, I don't think Mac was the only person fascinated by Robert Johnson. Agreed. There are, other, I mean, it's the thing about Robert Johnson is here's a guy. Who comes in and basically records 29 songs, right? In just a couple sessions, uh, in 1936 and 37. And he's set to play this massive concert. Uh, John Hammond, the producer, was going to bring him into Carnegie Hall to play this spirituals to swing concert, uh, in, in 1938. And he dies mysteriously right before that. So he's gone. And, uh, we, there are barely any. I think there are four existing photos. We've maybe seen one or two of them. Um, there's no real sense of what what happened with him. But what you have left over is this incredible music. These 29 songs are unbelievable. I mean, these are songs that when you, when you think about uh, uh, all of the white musicians in the 60s who were fascinated by blues, you know, these the Rolling Stones, Eric Clapton. We could just go on and on. Led Zeppelin. They're all covering robert johnson songs crossroads blues walking blues all these songs um and so uh when i'm trying to think of the song uh, i'm blanking on it the um amazing rolling Stones song that they did they covered of it but all right so that's robert johnson and and, and you know throughout history there's an, a movie called crossroads which is not the greatest where ralph macchio you know the karate kick sure, guy. sure, sure. So get this masterful uh, ability to play the blues, but you know then this bizarre legend struck where like Robert Johnson he sold his soul at the crossroads to the devil to learn to play the blues and you know i this is a pretty bad it's kind of um i mean it's racist it's the only thing I can call it because as I said to you before the break people don't go around and say like how did jimmy page learn oh he sold his soul somehow when a guy like robert johnson masters his instrument like that it's got to be some weird otherworldly mojo you know that has you know a voodoo basically right mm-hmm. so um so there's that so that's that's mac was fascinated by that also is the idea that like in the 60s and 70s we have this blues revival so If Robert Johnson had lived, he would have been like, I'm just saying, like, Skip James or Mississippi John Hurt or Lightning Hopkins. Mm -hmm. He would have been in this generation of blues players who was rediscovered and, you know, brought to the college music circuit and Newport Folk Festival. And all that mysticism probably would have been gone. But because he wasn't, you know, alive, suddenly a guy like Mac is like, hey, I've got to tell this story. I've got to trace this story. I've got to find out what really you know, happened with Robert Johnson. So that, that's what I think.
0: No, there's a, there's a, there's a level of, there's a certain kind of magic and mysticism. I, I was, I was um, uh, friends with Prince, as this audience knows, friends, uh, very dear friends with Prince and for 30 years and traveled the world with this guy. And, we spent a lot of time together everywhere. Uh and um I, I was always amazed <laughs> at the ways in which he was able to advance himself in part because of the mysticism around him. And we talked about that from time to time. I, I think very quick, I think the song you were looking looking for with the Stones is was it Love and Pain?
1: Yeah, Love and Vain. Yeah. Lo-
0: love and Vain. I said pain, yeah. Love and, yeah love. Hey
1: Tabit, yeah. can I ask you a question? Sure, sure. Prince Quest. Sure, sure. Can I do it? Sure. It, could you could people could regular people look Prince in the eyes or were we told not? To? <laughs> What's the truth there? Yeah, I, I, if I had met Prince, could I have looked him in the eye now?
0: Indeed, you could have. Indeed, you could have. I, I, don't, oh! I, I, I don't know. I don't know, where, I don't know where, that, where that urban legend came from. You couldn't look him in the eye. I don't. I don't know.
1: Second, I, I want to tell you the, the yeah. second Prince thing that I just love is sure. after he died and it ruined our world. I mean, you know, yeah. Prince dying, but after he died. I had this amazing conversation with Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, the bearded man, and he just told me about how he stumbled upon Prince one night in a restaurant, and Prince waved him over, and they spent like four hours just talking about guitar, how to play guitar, and at one point, Billy Gibbons said, how do you do the beginning of When Doves Cry, and Prince said, I'm I'm not telling
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> now that that sounds like Prince. <laughs> no, does, no, right? no question about that. I, I will tell you this: uh, not to not to, not to pivot too uh, uh, too aggressively here, uh, uh, but I, I have never in my life met anyone more curious. And you you cover these artists. You you're a music writer. I mean, you you do this kind of stuff. And maybe you can now want to get your take on this. Um, I have found that the artist who I am most fascinated by. Are those who are the most curious? I mean, you sit and you have a conversation with, and I could just run a long list of them. You sit and talk to these great artists, these great songwriters, and you're trying to talk to them, and they're 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 flipping it as fast as as they can to ask you questions. I mean, I just I just find that what what at the at the epicenter of what makes a great artist oftentimes is their own curiosity about you, about life, about the world. They're curious people. I've never met anybody more curious than Prince.
1: Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. The difference between the people, whether it's artists, whether it's broadcasters, whether it's writers, the people who I think are, are most interesting are the ones that actually ask the people they're talking to questions yes. and want to learn. Yes. And then and then there are the other people, and we know those people. And, mm-hmm. you know, they can be talented, they can be gifted, but there's something holding them back. They're just not... They're just not going to explore in the same way. So I I agree with you.
0: And I was in a, I was in a conversation the other day uh, about something totally different. Um, but it, I, I I make this joke. I tell this joke all the time. that Everybody wants to be a talk show host, whether it's on television or radio. These days, everybody wants to be a talk show host. I've been at this thirty plus years. But whether it's and everybody's everybody's got a podcast. My dog has a podcast. Everybody's got podcasts these days. <laughs> so everybody wants to be a, some kind of some kind of host. Uh, and I, I I am tickled by that. And whenever I'm in these conversations about certain people who are rumored in hollywood to be getting a, a talk show um or in the radio business for that matter rumored to be getting a talk show i can always tell i can tell you up front those who have a chance at making it and those who are going to fail miserably and i do that uh not because i'm arrogant or hubristic i do that in part because if i know the person i can tell you whether or not they are curious enough as a person to truly be interested in the opinions, the views, the thoughts, the aspirations, the hopes and dreams and fears of other people. If you're not a genuinely curious person, if you're not a generous listener, if you're not a charitable listener, no way do you make it in this business. So you and I agree um, that on those persons who who are, you know, a, at heart, curious people, they end up making, I think, not just better artists, uh, but better human beings. But I, I digress on that point. Back to Robert. I like that, yeah.
1: I, I, If we could... We'll go back to to Robert Johnson sure, and Mac, sure, but sure, sure. If, if, if when you make the Tavis smiley t-shirt that says everybody wants to be a talk show host, yeah. but nobody wants to be a listener, yeah. I would like <laughs> 5% of that. <laughs>
0: Uh, happy 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 to, happy to share it jeff happy to share it. It, it only it came courtesy of a dialogue with you so you're entitled to at least five percent of the royalties on that so uh con- consider it done um uh, to, to robert Mac mccormick again i want to get to the collection here and what's in it um but was he just a music enthusiast or was he an artist himself a, a, a frustrated artist
1: well i think he was a frustrated writer right and i guess you know, we'll have to decide whether writers truly artists. He didn't. He he wasn't a musician, right. as far as I can tell. He was a really gifted writer, though. I was surprised when you read this book that the uh, that the Smithsonian ended up actually publishing, and John Troutman, one of the curators, really had to work hard to get this book to figure out how to publish it. Really, because mm-hmm. there were a lot of different versions, and they have they have this beautiful forward and this beautiful afterward. Um, but basically you read this biography of a phantom, which I think is now more about Mac McCormick than about Robert Johnson, but it's about his search for Robert Johnson. And the writing is eloquent. It's beautiful, passionate. Mm. He's, he's, he's a great writer. So there's no question about that, but you know, he couldn't deliver it. Like he, he, he just, he had, it. he had all this material and he just couldn't deliver it. I also think that curators are artists and you know, this guy sure. knew who to capture, how to capture them, the notes are impeccable. If you go to the Smithsonian and you go to the museum and look at the notes, and if you, you can request a look in the archive, it's unbelievable, these typewritten notes. They're beautiful. They're detailed. They're focused. He's giving people advice on how to get people comfortable so they can do field recordings. I mean, yeah. some of these people were seasoned performers. And then a guy like James Kisdom, the guy's just on the street corner. He wasn't famous then. He was He's not famous now. Yeah. So, You know, Mac had to get the best out of these people and and have them, you know, perform. And and he was a master at that.
0: You just tapped into something that I I am utterly fascinated by. And maybe it's just me, but since I get the microphone right now, I can ask it. Maybe somebody in the audience heard the same thing I heard come out of your mouth. And I want to just kind of interrogate that right quick before we close by talking about, again, what's actually in this collection beyond some of the stuff we've already played. Um, But I was thinking as you were talking, Jeff, about a number of, you know, high profile writers and artists. Uh, whose names we know, if I were to mention them, and I don't want to cast a on anybody, so I won't mention the names. I don't need to to make the point or ask a question that I want to, to, to probe uh, or get you to probe. Uh, and that is what you think about, what you've learned, um, what your takeaways are from all the years of your work about artists who can't push it out. They, they, they're creative, they're gifted, and even if they get that first book out, uh, and there's some very famous writers, as you know, who got the first one out, but couldn't get the second one out, uh, or artists who got that you know got that one album out but couldn't do it again. Um I don't know I don't know what's there i'm just I'm just curious since you mentioned it whether or not there are any thoughts you have or what you've learned over the years about those who can push it out repeatedly and those who get stuck as it were.
1: well, it's really interesting you say that because I have a very strong feeling about this, and i I talk a lot about writing to to people and Um, I'll tell you, this is my, I'll give you my short answer and my slightly longer answer. My short answer is, to writers, is lower your standards. And I know that sounds insane and bizarre, Mm -hmm. but here's what it means. When you sit at a computer or a typewriter or a notebook and you spend hours and hours unable to put a word on the page, that thing they call writer's block, right? Mm -hmm. When you do that, uh, you're just putting off the inevitable. And the fact is, not every sentence, not every word that comes out of your mouth and gets onto a page is going to be impeccable and perfect. And so when I say lower your standards, I mean sit there and type. Mm -hmm. Sit there and write. Put this stuff down. I do it all the time. And what I end up with sometimes is a terrible, terrible section for a story or or, or, or a sentence that doesn't work or whatever. But sometimes I get somewhere else. And Mm -hmm. I always get somewhere. And so... To, to psychologically hamstring yourself by, you know, getting stuck in that endless circle of writer's block, I think that's, that's a problem. And, you know, maybe it's because I know that I'm not the most gifted writer in the world. Mm. And, you know, if you're uh, a great, great writer and you've written an amazing book and suddenly they're telling you, hey, you've got to do another book and you feel like you have to meet that standard, maybe that's a different thing that goes on in your head. But for me, it's just about doing it. It's like that with everything, isn't it? It's like the only way to overcome not getting something done is to do it.
0: That's right. Nope, that's great advice. Great advice. I'm glad I asked that question. Didn't know where it was going, uh, but I figured something might be there worth interrogating or excavating, and so I'm glad I am glad I asked. Um, in the few minutes I have left here, tell me what actually is in this collection. What did uh, Robert Mac McCormick's family donate to the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History?
1: Well, so we are only getting a, like the a small piece of it right now. You can actually go on to the Smithsonian's website and look in their archives, and they've they've done an amazing job of digitizing a list of what's available there. Mm -hmm. But what they've started with is this incredible box set, which, you know, I I can't recommend it enough, and it's called Playing for the Man at the Door, and it's field recordings from the Mac McCormick collection. Mm -hmm. And these recordings range from completely famous people in the blues world, like Le- Lightnin' Hopkins or Mance Lipscomb, to total unknowns who you've never heard before, like Billy Beiser on harmonica, you know, mm. or like George Bongo Joe Coleman. Uh, these are great samples from w- this, you know, life, you know, this lifelong adventure that Matt McCormick had with this tape recorder. And, you know, they're also like, he doesn't just get the audio, he takes a picture of of, you know, Lighten Hopkins at the Sputnik bar in Houston in 1961. He's sitting there with a the cigarette hanging out of his mouth. There's a lady with her hands on his shoulders. He's got a couple bottles in front of him. You really you can almost you can almost feel what it's like to be in these places. And uh it, to me it's an incredible window. I mean, look. I'm I'm a guy who was born in 1970 and grew up in New England, right? And it probably won't be a shock to you that I'm a white man. And I feel like i'm understanding and getting a window into a world that i just you know is totally foreign to me and it's a great
0: gift to me yep uh my my final question my exit question in the 45 seconds i have left here um what um has exposure to this collection done or said to you uh all over again about the value of the blues
1: well i i'm not a music critic i'll tell you i'm a reporter mm-hmm. but I, I i will say that um There's something really, really moving about hearing songs by people who are only motivated by the song. These people weren't motivated by... There was no record guy coming in the door to sign them up, right? Uh, They were working people in many cases... And they were playing for their friends, their neighbors, and themselves. So these songs are as close as you can get to the heart as 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 anything, right?
0: We call we call that love around here, Jeff. We call that love doing it doing it, doing it for the love. Uh, his name is Jeff Edgers, a reporter with the Washington Post. Did a pretty amazing story about this Robert Mac McCormick collection. Uh, Mac McCormick loved the blues so much, spent his whole life literally just collecting tapes and vinyl and writings and recording other artists. Uh, it's an amazing collection now uh, uh, owned by uh, this Smithsonian. National Museum of American History, uh, donated there by his family. Jeff, thanks for the piece. Thanks for the conversation, all the insights. Uh, I loved it. Uh, we'll do it again, uh, hopefully, somewhere down the road. Take care, my friend. Hey, big
1: admirer. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Talk well, to you later.
0: Likewise. Thanks for your time. More Tabby Smiley when we come forward.